Right now, a future president could be running as a local candidate on your ballot. This person is vying to represent you, your family, and your community. Do you know what they are and what they stand for? Vote411.org is your tool for accurate and unbiased, up-to-the-minute election information on the candidates running in local races. Just enter your address to get started. Your vote is your power, the power to decide who represents you in 2022 and beyond. Get online, get the facts, and make your voice heard on election day. How are you today, Robin? I'm good. Fantastic. <clears throat> can you hear me well? Yes, I can, and you're coming in clear on the sound system here. Great. Thank you. Nice, nice, nice. So, um, let's get started quickly because we don't have a lot of time, and I've got tons more candidates because there's so many people on every island trying to run right now because we're early in the game. So... Let's let's start with the simple stuff. Let everybody know who, who doesn't know you or is about to know you, who you are and what office you're running for. My name is Robin Knox, and I'm running for county council for the South Maui seat. Um, the incumbent Kelly King is uh, not going to run for that seat. She's going for state house, and she is endorsing me to run for the county council seat. I am an environmental scientist. I am a mother, a grandmother. I am a small business owner. So I have a, a lot of different kinds of life experiences and professional experiences. Uh, my specialty is water quality, and I was uh, part of many studies on Maui, including the Southwest Maui Watershed Plan. I drafted the first plan uh, and the uh, injection well studies with the University of Hawaii. I was on the research team that published a, a pivotal paper in 2010 that led EPA to act uh, and eventually Earth Justice to file a lawsuit on behalf of 
Maui County nonprofits because the sewage from County of Maui sewage treatment plants were harming the coral reefs. Dig it. Dig it. So, um, well, you know what? I, I, I think the best way to start this conversation, because we, we have a lot of we have a lot of council members that uh, that are running throughout Maui that I've talked to uh, already. But one thing that we want to try to do um, in teaching those listening is getting the 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 actual definition and the point of view definition from each candidate. So if you could help explain to the audience what a council member does in the community especially in a county like Maui. Uh, and especially in Maui County, it's uh, a big job to be a council member. We have three islands in Maui County that the council member serves. The council member's authority is primarily fiscal authority for uh, approving county expenditures and also legislative to make the rules that exist at the county level for things like development uh, and building permits, things like that. And also designate some designation of land use through planning. But the county council doesn't have all the authority. And that's often a thing that people don't realize is that the council members can only vote or what is under their authority. So you have to, um, you know, the county charter tells us the authority of administration and legislative branches of the county. Yes, I, I really do like that you, you made that point. I feel that there are quite a few people, and that's why I, I, I had to ask you, is because there's a lot of people that are interested in and like for complain about things, but uh, sometimes they don't know who they're going to for things. And so... Um, with that being said, I, I thank you for explaining what your what your job would kind of entail from the aspect of just the textbook definition. So, in relation to that, what does your history bring to being a council member and doing that job? I've been an active committee. Uh, I'm sorry, an active member of the South Maui com- community. I have directly uh, you know one of our big issues of course is homelessness and our housing crisis and in a personal uh, capacity I have directly you know helped our houseless neighbors helped families who were going to be on the street because they couldn't find housing or they were forced to leave their housing because the property sold So I've helped provide temporary housing to people because I'm very compassionate and I understand how much trauma injures people and losing your housing is extremely traumatic. Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's, that is a a very high priority to me. I like to say that, you know, my number one priority is food, water, and shelter for everyone. And, you know, we need more than that. We want our people to prosper, not just to survive. And so also, you know, education, skill training for jobs, diversifying our economy and getting better jobs. Uh, And, of course, a clean environment, which is where I can bring a lot of technical skill to the table. But most of what I bring is that 
I am a person who tries to practice equanimity, that when I'm looking at a problem, I'm not seeing it black and white or good or bad. I'm interested in getting facts and understanding the relationships of all the different parts of the problem and trying to find that, you know, it's kind of cliche, but that win-win compromise or win-win solution that gets everybody what they need. It may not get everybody what they want, but if we meet everyone's needs, I think our communities are going to be stronger and more resilient and more able to face the challenges that the future is bringing us in terms of um, environmental change due to climate change. Mm. So, um, you know, since you since you brought up, you know, the the homelessness, and and since you're in Kihei, you know, I, I mean, I know a little bit down there. I stay up country, but I got I got one uncle down there that cruises in a van every once in a while and sticks near that spot, so I go check on him. But I mean. Especially with as visible as a problem it is down there, like near Camwan and stuff. I mean, is there anything that you have in mind to to help with with what's going on on the beach down there? Absolutely, we need a shelter in Kihei. We don't have a south side shelter for people. Uh, a, a big step if we can't build housing and shelters, you know, physical buildings for everyone to shelter in. We could at least set up a safe camping spot that has bathrooms, that has garbage disposal, and that has security so that they can sleep at night in their cars or perhaps in tents. But that would take away most of the criticisms and and kind of impacts associated with homelessness. Is you know, people complain about the garbage and they're using the bathroom outside and maybe they smell and they're dirty. And it's like, well, what, what would you be like if you had no shower and no bathroom and no trash disposal? You know, so we have to somehow provide for those needs while we're trying to help people transition to more permanent housing. But, you know, right now there's, you know, the, I think the last homeless count was that there was close to a thousand people unsheltered who right now are on the streets and right now are suffering and right now their presence is impacting our community mm-hmm. and to continue to just push them around and move them from place to place doesn't actually solve the problem and it makes the problem worse in many ways because it traumatizes Absolutely. the people they lose all their belongings maybe they even lose their id and then they can't get any services or apply for a place to rent or anything and i'd also like to say that many of these people living in their vehicles have jobs yes and yeah My uncle is one of those men yeah absolutely Yeah, I saw one day I was at the ABC store here in Kihei, and I looked over, I parked, and I looked over, and in the truck next to me, there was Auntie, and she looked so worried. She was just in despair, and I was like, oh my goodness, what what could make this woman feel so worried? Um, And I went over to get my gas, pulled over there, and I see Uncle, you know, digging in the trash, getting the recyclables out. And then he goes over, and he's in the same truck as Auntie, and he's putting the recyclables in the back of the truck. And that's when I realized, like, wow, these people are probably homeless. 
um, you know, that's probably why she looked so much in despair. And they're trying to do their best. And, you know, they were very clean cut and had a very uh, old but, you know, well-cut vehicle. And, you know, it's not the fault of, of the individuals that they're homeless. It's that we don't have a good safety net. I fully agree with you. Yeah, all of our families are, you know, or most of them are, you know, one month away from some kind of catastrophe that Mm. puts them in, you know, the, the danger of becoming homeless. Because if you don't have three months worth of, you know, rent in your savings account, uh, and so, you know, you have an accident or you get sick, you might be in trouble. You know, you might be at risk of losing your housing. Yeah. I think everybody plans on a rainy day fund, but, uh, we kind of had too many rainy days recently, you know, (laughs) there you go. Yeah. Um, so I think we have to have some, some shelters and some more immediate aid, like the managed encampment, um, it's been suggested that the county get a 24-hour emergency line. For instance, last week there was an auntie who's in a wheelchair. She's had two strokes. She was illegally evicted by her landlord, and she's on the side of the road in Kahului. And, you know, the people trying to help her from the nonprofit Share Your Mana, uh, they went out there. They called all the agencies and they even checked in with Maui Police Department, who kept a watchful eye over them overnight to make sure that no one harmed them. But I don't know if she ever got her housing. I know the next night she was still on the street. Mm. And we need a way to help people like that immediately, not months from now or, or like on the HUD list. You can wait two years before you get a voucher, and then no landlord will take your voucher because they don't pay enough money to meet the competitive rates of what rents are these days. Exactly. I, uh, I personally uh, worked in veteran uh, homeless housing for uh, almost nine years in California when I was out there. And uh, I got to say, if it wasn't for a lot of those guys having guaranteed income, most places wouldn't take them in, you know? So like they got, they were lucky enough in some cases. And as I learned the numbers from people working civilian homeless cases that, it was uh, it. It's very disconcerting at how easily people are forgotten in a minute, and then are more forgotten in ten and then an hour. And because of the comfort that we have accessible to us, that we tend to extend that to our head cannon of the people around us. And so eventually, those people that are in distress just get slowly pushed to the back of our mind. And a month passes, two months passes, sometimes a year, and then we look back and go, oh. Shoots, I forgot this all of that. Oh my bad. But then like that person's gone or they've moved to another state or they've they you know, they're down one more street or maybe they're just not there anymore because we got there too late. Yeah, and I I found this a very difficult problem to face personally and uh because I I used to believe a lot of what I hear said about how it's these people's own fault and they made bad choices and maybe they're a drug addict. But then I looked for myself and I started talking to some people that were on the street living Mm -hmm. and I learned their stories and I learned about them as people. And I realized I could 
you know, I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of resources, but I realized I could look them in the eye and face them as a human being with dignity, despite their current unfortunate circumstances. And in my mind, at first, I thought that's the least I could do. But then I realized that's the most we can do is treat them with dignity. And that in, that includes housing for everyone. You know, housing, shelter is a human right. Having clean water to drink, having food to eat. These are basic necessities that we as a community need to make sure that we're all on board, right? No one gets left behind. Righteous. You know, I... Um... I don't know what the statistic is post-pandemic, but when I was uh, still working in the industry, um, you know, the one thing that they, the one of the numbers that stuck out to me the most in the beginning and what really pushed me to stay in with the programs to help was how much equity is lost once you're on the street, you know. And so one of the things that I heard, the soundbite that I heard the most when we were talking about homeless on the mainland is that for every one day that you are in, you know, in debt and despair on the street that takes anywhere from 15 to 20 days for that one day to come out. And eventually singular days stack up and years turn into decades. Yes. And it's like I said, a lot of our governmental reaction to that has been methods that only make that worse, you Mm -hmm. know, literally losing equity, losing your belongings, losing your uh, government ID that you need to access services that you need. So, and, and it takes resources. How much do we spend on homeless sweeps? How much of the COVID money could have been used to support the houseless people that were down there at Kanaha instead of, mm-hmm. uh, sweeping them you know i personally took water down there because they were locked out of the county parks which was their only water supply and eventually the county did you know a lot of them their cars don't run so they can't even like go somewhere else and get water and eventually the county did put a water supply out there but in the interim it was you know volunteers like myself who were buying water and taking it out there to them so I think we need to stop seeing all of this as kind of like political material or, you know, kind of theoretical situation. No, this is real and this is life and death for people. So that's something we have to pay attention to. And we have to, uh, you know, look at the sources of the problem, too. We need housing that we can afford. We need mental health care. We need more uh, beds in our substance addiction programs. And those things are really lacking. It, it was eye-opening to me when the, um, I'm drawing a blank on his name now, you'll know I'm not a sports fan, but the football player from Hawaii who committed to, or actually had an overdose. And he had tried to check in to a substance abuse clinic that morning and there was no room for him. Mm-hmm. And he died That's that same day. Cold Well, I think I think we really jam on this subject, but it's starting to take up a lot of time and I only have you for so long. Mm-hmm. So before right. before we get caught up in all this, is there anything in in extension 
of of your thoughts uh, for the community beyond uh, conservancy and and homelessness. Where where is the rest of Kihei in this for you? I think we all island wide, all three islands countywide, need to think about our sustainability in the sense of the economic part of it. Mm-hmm. We saw during the pandemic that having everything invested in one market sector was not a good idea because when that economic sector falters, then our whole economy falters and everyone suffers and a lot of people were put in crisis situations. So often when I talk about this, people say, oh, well, what's going to replace tourism? And if you name any options, they go, oh, but that won't be enough. Uh Well, maybe, yeah, maybe one thing won't be enough, but that's the point. We don't want to have only one thing. Exactly. We want, yeah, we want to have a lot of things. I like options, bro. A lot of options. It's got to be a buffet for the economy. You can't, you can't go to bed every night on steak. As good as it sounds the first week, after week three, you're like, I think I like one salad. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and full circle economy. What good does it do us if people, tourists come here, they spend money, and all that money goes back to the mainland or overseas. Mm-hmm. We need, I mean, we can still have tourism, but we need that money to somehow stay here. And we we need those other diverse market sectors that also can make the money stay here. And as much as we can, the resources stay here. Yeah, I I think that's probably one of the, the most interesting things from a economic perspective to me is how for... For a a state stranded in the middle of the Pacific, we are pretty beholden to tithing to everyone else but ourselves. Yes, well put. We we do. We we pay a lot of our income for imported food. I have to say for myself, though, ever since the pandemic, when the local farmers and fishermen, you know, could not sell their their goods to the uh, hotels like they used to. I was one of the people that said, yes, I want to buy local, and I haven't shifted away from there. I buy almost everything I eat uh, locally from local farmers and fishermen and the Maui Food Hub and things like that. So that's one thing we can all do is support local businesses and try to keep that money here. And, you know, when you think about, when you think about agriculture, growing food, if we import food, we're not just importing food. That was someone's water supply. Mm-hmm. And likewise, if we're exporting food, we're exporting our water supply. Yes. So it's better keep it all here. You know, grow our food here using our water. We'll be more conservative, and, and we do need to be more conservative in how we use our water. But full circle, you know, have it grown here, have it stay here. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, for, for as much as is imported that, I mean, in some cases it even becomes our waste as well. You know, it shows up as trash because some things there's like, why, why do we need this much corn? Well, I guess it was cheap. So we're taking it and we're putting it at Costco, you know? So I, I, I think that there's a lot of, 
uh, a lot of confusion for the people at wondering where their food comes from, where their food goes, you know, and maybe some transparency in that from the people who can, uh, can explain that would be a great thing. Um, whether it's your office or the office of people above you, um, I, but, I think that's why it's so wonderful that we're now going to have a county department of agriculture. Yes. And I, you know, I believe it's part of their mission, but if it's not, we need to get a nonprofit to do it, to educate people about these things. And that was for me that, you know, they do the eat local competition. Mm-hmm. That was a good form of education for me because it made me realize what we do and don't have here. Um, so yeah, and, and you know that waste, I'm glad you brought up the waste part of the equation too, because that word shouldn't even be in our language. It's we, crazy we, how food waste <laughs> occurs in this country, you know? I mean, lucky lucky we live Hawaii and we, we not many of us, you know, we not many of us believe in waste because we get lickings if we waste, but um, I think that there's, you know, still that extension from the mainland. I mean, mainland America... I mean, for as much food as produced, they throw away nearly two-thirds of it almost every day, whether it's and just because it's trash or the fruit is the wrong color, you know? Right. And food waste is one of the hardest ones to handle because it's loaded with nutrients. So, mm-hmm. you know, bacteria like to eat it, and then they make gases, and that yep. gets explosive, so you can't put it in the landfill. But, you know, not even just food waste, all waste, everything is a resource. So if we're seeing pollution, we should be saying to ourselves, there's a resource that's not in the right place. What should we be doing with that sewage other than putting it down an injection well into the ocean? You know, what what should we be doing with our green waste? Uh, And maybe some things need to be cut off at the source, like we've done with the plastics ban and the styrofoam ban. Uh, those things are not very easy to use as resources. So let's prohibit them from being here so they don't become waste that we have to deal with. Dig it. Well, we don't have much time left here, um, but I want to ask you before we close out, can I talk to you again in about a month's time and see where your campaign trail is taking you and anything new that you've learned along the way that we could share with uh, all of the voters and listeners of Hawaii? I think that's a great idea. I would love to do that, and I have no doubt that I'm going to learn a lot. (laughs) Righteous. All right. I hope to have some questions for you from the people by then. Uh, Before we go, would you like to tell everyone how they can connect with you digital or analog and support your campaign? Yes. The website is robin4maui.com with the numeral four, and it's Robin, R-O-B-I-N. And we also have a Facebook page, Elect Robin Knox to Maui County Council, and an Instagram under Robin for Maui. So those are the ways you can connect with me. Also right. an email, a Gmail address, Robin for Maui at gmail.com. Dig it. Well, mahalo for coming on today. I uh, can't wait to hear more from you in the future. Maybe next time I get down your side from up country, we can, uh, we can chat in person. That would be great, Kavika. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on, Robin. Aloha. Aloha. <gasps> Rabbit Holes is a Manava Cow production. This episode was produced by Kavika Hoke and Sarah Rodriguez. 
Make sure to subscribe and follow on your favorite podcast platforms to add our weekly episodes to your queue.